Sometimes you don't need to open a clever quote. You're listening to Brave New Words. My name is Ed and I'm your host and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Del. And on today's show we will be talking about Fahrenheit 451 because sometimes we have to do the new upcoming books. Yeah. Mm. Um, So, um, yes, we're going to talk about Fahrenheit 451. Uh, But before all of that, we're going to have a jingle. That was a jingle. That was a lovely jingle. It went very jingly. And uh, we do do a jingle exchange programme where you can send us your jingles via the usual channels. And what we'll do is we'll meet you on a bridge and you send your jingle over and we'll send their jingle over. And uh, yeah, that's exactly how that works. And um, what happens when the jingles cross past each other? Do they exchange some weird looks and yeah, uh, encouraging gets, moments? It gets very awkward and strange at mm. points. Uh, it can be quite strange. So, um, a few reasons why I was going to do Fahrenheit 451. Firstly, there is a TV series in the works. Dystopian TV is a thing at the moment, it seems. Because uh, they're doing a version of, we talked in the previous show, they're doing a version of 84K, which is mm-hmm. Claire Knopf's new dystopian novel. And they've obviously, Netflix, have just done Altered Carbon, which is... It's massive. Um, yeah, I think people people are we're getting fed up with seeing the same sort of thing. And dystopian TV is a way of giving people something angsty, but n- but easy to also not produce the same thing again and again and again. You can make you can make very powerful drama. And the only thing it has in common with other powerful dramas is that they're both dystopian. There's the, other than that, there's no. And there's a Handmaid's Tale as well, which. Yep, Handmaid's Tales. Like, that was over Christmas, wasn't it? My friend watched the first episode with his parents, and he has read the book. I was like, "Well, that's your own fault, you silly ass." Like, mind blown. Just of course that was a stupid idea. Silly. I, I seem to recall watching the movie with, with possibly inappropriate family members but it was not my pick at the time because <laughs> I was like I don't want to watch this because I've read the book and I you know can we have cartoons please yeah. which is where I was at the time and they were like no no we'll watch it, it might have been my sister oh no let's, wa- let's watch Hammond's Sale and I was like this is depressing yeah. and the movie's not very good either I whole. didn't even know there was a film no there's a, there's a film it's, it's rubbish Huh. Um, it, uh, it, it, it's it's like a series of bullet points, right? Okay. I mean? It kind of they kind of like like almost motorbike over all the various dips and all the nuance is gone. Mm. So it's really easy to be critical, hypercritical about it because you're like, well, you know, none of none of this happens. None of this is explained. This this scene is in the book, but the way it's presented is just gratuitously violent. And it's yeah. Like, but the got two hours so they don't really spend that much time on any of it yeah i think one of my things i i really like dystopian stories because i think you could you can very blatantly be like warning warning but in a very entertaining way and that's that's lovely one of the difficulties i have with dystopian literature um and dystopian films and dystopian tv is the amount of things that label themselves as dystopian that are not dystopian. And I think you and me have had this conversation previously because dystopian, dy- dystopia, dystopia 
is when someone has tried to build a utopia and it's wrong that is dystopian and the amount of things are just like it's just future angsty and that's that's that that's not that's not a thing (laughs) they get confused with the concept of anti-utopian and anti-utopian is where they've gone away from creating a utopia because it's easier to make this world than it is to make that world so 1984 is arguably easily anti-utopian rather than dystopian because in 1984 there is never any intention of making that world a nice place there's no way that the world of the big big river all of those things are done for for themselves all Mm -hmm. the people in charge are doing things to make their life easier and they don't care about anyone else which is why that world is awful yeah okay what's another one that was out recently i think it's uh what happened to monday it's a netflix film and that's kind of i'd say it kind of it's not dystopian because it's not that someone is trying to make a better world they've literally just had to bring in laws to control population that's not trying to make a perfect place and doing it wrong but say actually you know dystopian dystopian things i really love um i haven't read the book but i've seen the film i was on an airplane but um never let me go and i'm i'm not a kira knightley fan and i unfortunately don't think she's great in the film but carrie mulligan and andrew garfield are great in it but one of the things I loved about Never Let Me Go is it actually took me a surprising amount of time to work out I was watching a dystopian story. It took me ages to work yeah. out what was going on. And then when I did work it out, I was just like, oh, which made it even more impressive, made the story more powerful. But it's so very heartbreaking. I was just trying to figure out whether, because I wasn't that familiar with the definitions as you just presented, whether mm. The Hunger Games and Divergence qualify and I think Divergence plays with it, from what I know of it. Whereas Hunger Games, Hunger Games is not dystopian. Hunger Games is post-apocalyptic. Right. Divergence they're... is this is a deliberately created world. But yeah. I've, I've seen the first two films, <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there's some there's a play with you know whether, why it was created, but I haven't seen. Yeah, why. I don't think Divergent is trying to make up the perfect place, though, so to speak. Like, it's no, I mean just... it creates a place and sets yeah. rules on it, as, and, yeah. but it's not necessarily created as a at, utopia. At the risk of sounding like an incredibly pretentious ass, the Divergent books are an attempt to create a utopia in an incredibly silly way hmm. and a poorly thought out way. Yeah. If you try and do it in a very clever way. You end up with Ada Palmer's Terra Incognita series, stuff like The Will to Power, which, oh my goodness, those books—they are thick and dense, and they're not that it's the the the, the setup for them is um, they've created a utopia by they've got the technology, the technology is all there, and then they've created a society where you essentially you can decide if you want to live in the uh, the Anrand hyper-capitalist, brutal part of society where you can live in the anarchist commune society but all the basic things that are required for a civilization to run or ran by another pod, if you see what I mean. So you have all these pods and all the interactions have been calculated so it all works. So it's a machine that, that, that works on its own axis and if you, if you don't like living here, you can join a different band. Right. You can go, if you don't like it here, you can live somewhere else where they do, you know, you can go to Russia, essentially. 
and I'm really massively simplifying the books because they are so much more than that but what they essentially are is a 2000 page essay on philosophy murder what it is to be human with a dystopian anti-utopian slash dystopian plot line weaved all the way through mm. rather than the other way around right and the glib way of describing those books is it's the Divergent series without the superpowers designed for people who like reading a lot. Mm. Um, and that's that's incredibly... We'll, we will get round to doing the Ada Palmer books. It's, it will take me a while to digest them. And I also need someone else to read them because, oh my goodness, I reviewed World Power for the magazine and I just bimble on for like 700 words and Phil, was, Phil who's one of the magazine's media liaison, and also handles the reviews to make sure that they're suitable for print. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's one of the checks and balances I have. It just emailed me back and went, can you make it short? And I was like, no, <laughs> I can't. Is, so is, is that the, the person who wrote The Power? Sorry. Uh, no, or... they, they wrote... Um, let me look at I up, think I actually. might have misheard what you'd said. Uh, no, she wrote Will to Power. Which oh, is sorry. Third, third I, I just heard pow- like Power and was like, oh, the Power? Because lots of people are talking about that at the moment. No, she wrote uh, Too Light the Lightning, uh, which okay. is the first one, which is, um, yeah, let, let, let's not go down near the Palm of it because no, I, yeah. I, I am in, unprepared. And please write in and go, Ed, you're wrong. Yes, I know I am. Um, <laughs> well, let's be honest. When it comes to this sort of conversation, all of us are kind of wrong. Like you can't, you can't be correct in in this chat. Um, but I think dystopia is wonderful. I think equilibrium. Just when you can't say words, equilibrium or equilibrium, depending on how you say it. Um, I, I do actually I really like the film I think it's really interesting but I like that it's it's both it, it is dystopian but it is also anti-utopia like it's it's kind of like you said it's that mix of like some point some bits it's one and some bits it's another but the idea of being like well what's wrong with the world humans have too many emotions okay so if we didn't have emotions everything would be lovely wouldn't it um, and that's that's kind of great so Fahrenheit 451 is dystopian fiction excellent um I'm holding the Polio Society version because they're pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, pretty. And there's a version coming out, there's a TV series coming out, which is part of the reason. Polio Society do, do, do this thing where they go, oh, this, is, this isn't the public interest, this is an excuse for us to do this lovely book. And it is a lovely book. Uh, you open up the first page, the first play is a picture of a hound. The hound are these, they have hunter-seeker robots. Now Ray Bradbury wrote this, I think it was the 50s. When I'm pretty it. sure it's the 50s. Yeah. Um, so 1954, I think. 54. Okay. And I'm going to get a bunch of stuff out of the way first. It does feel like it was written in 1954. Yeah. So there's bits of it that are quite judgy. Um, the primary service has a bit where they're talking about cesarean sections and childbirth. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and you go, well, that's a bit judgy. Yeah. And he's trying to make the characters, because the characters who are talking about it are three women who are being very empty-headed and very gossipy. And it's because they've never thought about their lives at any level of depth. So they're kind of they're shuffling their children off into the system. Um, they don't they don't they they have no exact their lives are not examined because okay, so this is the world of Fahrenheit four five one where as a society they have decided to stop caring. It's been it's politically expedient to make sure that people 
don't have an examined life. They don't spend too much time. All media that available is very shallow. Right. So the the example that Bradbury uses, because he wrote this in the 50s, people, uh, is he talks about comics and he talks about television. And we've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about television that's made us feel, and television that's based on dystopian fiction and movies and all the rest of it. So yes, Bradbury's not talking about that. Bradbury's literally talking about what we would term as reality TV, mm. would we would term as, you know, when he's talking about comics, he's talking about the Beano, he's not talking about Mouse. Um, you know, Banana Man, not the Sandman. Big difference. <laughs> um, oh God, Sandman the Musical. I, I would watch that. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you, you would get, I want to watch Banana Man the musical, I still haven't. Uh, you'd get um, the, the Bunker Robber Theatre Cocoon or someone similar to do that. Uh, to, to do something like that would be amazing. No, Sandman I'd give to Punch Drunk. It would be beautiful. That would be that would be brutal. Yes. It would be amazing. Because you can't wake up from that. Yep. That would be that would be quite brutal. But yes, um, especially if it was like the Drown Man. And now we're talking in a language that you, you know how we have an audience, <laughs> and then like the number of people they who like understand books. what we're talking about. They don't necessarily like theatre. <laughs> so, yeah, no fair. But I, I literally just referenced Belgian theatre like two minutes ago, so I shouldn't really. Anyway, we would really struggle in this four fifty one universe, wouldn't we? We really would, yeah. and, and that's so. All our books would have been burned. So, essentially, this is a world where people really don't want to think and feel um, and the main character is a chap called Guy Montag who um, is a great illustration of him in his little fire, home is a fireproof at this point, technology is the, there's a shell that means that things don't burn down, that everyone's safe and secure um, and Guy has an, unexa- has an unexamined life and he really likes taking things out and burning them because fire is pretty and he has job satisfaction, and in the in this world, um, books are banned. You're not supposed to read, and the reason that, and no one, if you ask a person why that is, they just say it's just the way it is. Books are silly. We need to get rid of them. They're bad for you, and people don't because our society's moved. This this their society has moved to the point where they've forgotten why they were doing it in the first place. The reason they're doing it in the first place is because there are so many books in the world that reading a book makes you think, making a book makes you feel, and instead people entertain themselves. They've got a lot of leisure time. They've got a lot of society has been simplified, so there's not much to do. There are jobs that people have, but everything's been simplified. So you can put clams. They're called clamshells. They're these little in the fifties. These were these were amazing. This is science fiction. These things that you put in the the in your inner ear. They don't have a wire or anything. You just put them in your inner ear and you can listen to music. It's amazing. Mm. It's the fifties. Um, but people have inner ear headphones and listen to music all the time, and they listen to radio shows all the time. There's um, Paul Alls, which are basically massive televisions. Right. And the shows are, we would call them now reality TV. There's mm-hmm. stuff like The Family, right? Which is kind of gossip and it's soap opera. And it's, you know, reality drama. Yeah. Um, but it's all surface. Hmm. And, and when we're first introduced to, to Guy, um, 
he meets this girl called Clarice, who's a teenager. A teenage girl who doesn't really, she doesn't really think about her life. She's 17, 16, 16 going on 17. She's young. She um, is weird. She's regarded as weird by her, her fellows. And she doesn't, because she, she befriends Guy. She befriends hmm. this fireman. And the reason she befriends them is uh, is because she's, she's been trying to befriend several of them, but most of them just tell it to go away and are very rude to it. And because people don't have conversations mm. beyond the surface, no one has conversations beyond mm. the surface. But she catches Guy in a rare moment of introspection. They have a conversation. She's a nice, amiable young lady. And they gossip away, and she talks about the inspiration that she gets by just going for a country walk. Who goes for a country walk? That's mad. You know, she she talks about the fact that she can look at the stars and she can draw inspiration from the stars and from the sky. And it's the, there is an implication that she talks to her family, and that she talks to her, you know, the few friends that she has, and that she she derives depth from the world in a world where everyone is told to not derive depth. Mm. And this is essentially this is the, the the tragedy is set up very early because this is where a guy starts to form. Because he starts thinking about that, and he's married. Uh, guy's married to a woman called Mildred. Mildred is held up as an examination of um, as an example of how shallow people in this world are. In the four five one world, they are shallow. Now there is an argument of sexism here because it's Ooh. written in the fifties. And yeah, unfortunately, many of the very shallow, empty-headed, bubble-headed people in this world are women. But all the characters, all the people in this, there's not many people in the book. Mm. And mm. it's just, he's using, so yes, he can be like, oh, there's the sexism. Yes, there is. Yeah. There, there is, it, it is sexist. Uh, it, it'd be interesting to see what they do with the TV series. It's just because um, with the modern equivalent to go for for this example is the world from Lego movie and Dude yes. Where's My Trousers yes in fact it's they're all, all watching yeah. Dude Where's My Pants yeah um, and it is the Lego movie they are mm. it, it's spot, spot on and because you can't have a Lego fire in the Lego world because they you turn on a flame for it it's those little plastic fire pieces yeah mm. and also in fairness you can't put the fire out because the, the water is those little water plastic fire pieces that's anyway so <laughs> And now I want to see Fahrenheit 451 as the as in the, the Lego, Lego style. The Lego stop, <laughs> stop motion version. That'd be amazing. I've oh tangented gosh. us. <laughs> oh, someone, someone must have made a Lego hound. The hound are these the hound are these hunter seeker eight legged hunter seeker robots. Right. Um and the rest of the firemen use them. Occasionally they'll just like find a rat or a cat. Uh the, the first illustration in the Fuller Society is of a hound. Um and they'll find a rat or a cat and they'll make it chase for their entertainment. Um, but these things can hunt people down. Um, but anyway, if you found having books, the firemen come, they they burn your books, mm. and you can be you can be you know it, it's a crime. You're not supposed to have books, and all the rest of it. Um, and Montag makes this this terrible terrible mistake. He starts hiding books, and then at one point he starts reading them. Um, there was also a scene with Mildred where Mildred, essentially, without spoiling it too much, almost dies and forgets that she's had this this dice of death. And it, again, 
this is a world where suicide is common but everyone is really callous and everyone is really empty and it's because fundamentally and the point that Bradbury is making is that their lives have less meaning mm. because they're not drawing on the information from the people who've gone past because the point of a book is you've got a lot of information in the book and then you can shove it in your brain and you can have the experiences of someone else Yes, and it's not the books that matter mm. and this is the thing that I think a lot of the things that people miss about Fahrenheit 451 is that this individual book that I hold in my hand isn't important it's the idea of hanging on to knowledge it's the idea of of, of having an examined life that that matters um, this is a bit of a silly thing to review to an extent because I think if you haven't read it you must have heard of it but what I will say yes but I don't I don't think that necessarily means that, that reviewing it is is silly because I actually think there's a lot of stuff like that books that are a product of their time that are an archetype within stories and so we think we know them but actually by reviewing them people realize they don't know them and they do they might not have read them yet but they they do or, or they will um, yeah you can yeah you can oddly enough you can dismiss as classic without yes. knowing it because you think it's all valuable or you think it no longer applies yeah. most people think they know the story of um, mm. Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde but prob- probably don't the book is not the story that you think it is at all mm. it's like you're familiar with the character they're hardly in it mm. the, bu- the, sto- the book isn't about them the book is about a friend who doesn't really see Dr Jekyll anymore and is a bit worried about him like literally the whole the whole thing is just people coming up being I'm really worried about him are you worried about him yeah I'm worried about him a bad thing has happened oh did it look like this that's Mr Hyde we need to keep Dr Jekyll away from Mr Hyde like that that's literally the whole the whole thing right but, but that's not what anyone thinks that story is but they don't know because we have the archetypes of these characters that are in so many other stories that we think we know the story yeah because they've been yeah. reused in all kinds of other things yeah and so I think these are a nice way of kind of Kind of, if you're talking about things that are old and that we think, oh, but people won't read it. Talking about them is what makes people read them. One of the things, and I have to look this up because I don't know when they were made. Um, but one of the characters in Fahrenheit Four Five One is called Faber. He's an English professor, and apparently that's named after Faber Castell the pencils, and not Faber and Faber books. And now I'm going to have to look up when Faber and Faber started because I don't think. And what do you think of it's afterwards that they're connect, like they've named themselves after? Yeah, no, they haven't. But, uh-huh. um, but yeah, favour and favour. Like, like as soon as I saw the fact that the English professor, because apparently they existed in nineteen twenty nine, but the 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 name the character Fib is named after a pencil. Um, but immediately I think he's an English professor called Favour. He's probably got another English professor who's like you know in another room who's also called Favour. <laughs> They probably print books together. And there is a whole subplot with them trying to get books printed as well. And I don't think we ever actually learned the name of the, the guy who's printing, but I want that guy to also be called Faber yeah. so they can go into, into production for you. Um, there's a total aside, and we're talking about shallow fiction, not that there is any such thing, but um, the Troll Slayer, uh, the Troll Slayer, William Kiln's Troll Slayer, yeah. there's a character in there, the wizard Gascoigne, who's named after Mark Gascoigne, right. who was the editor at the time. 
and you just you would completely miss that mm. if you didn't know who Mark Gascoigne was. He's the guy in charge of Angry Robert Brooks these mm. days, so he's fairly famous. But quite clearly, he's just there as a cheeky reference to his mate Mark. Mm. Um, but yes, um, yeah, it's an interesting one because it's been adapted several times. And there's another adaptation coming out its way. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a in fairness with TV adaptations you can get an entire season of TV out of the first chapter of most novels. Yes, yeah. Well, like, if you think um, Man in High Castle, that's they did two series of that, didn't they? And yeah. the book's actually pretty thin. It's not It's not a big book. Um, do Under and Stream of Electric Sheep is not... Yeah. You know, you look at the, the TV series, TV series, you look at the movie and you look at the book and you go, you know, I can see how you got there, but... What? <laughs> and, and, and there's no weird religious cult in the movie. Um, but yes, there's. I mean, there's a lot of. It, it's weird because you you read it and you think there's there's this curved robots and then you immediately think the Hunger Games. Um, there is a there is a character in there who is essentially the same philosophy but evil, who is a who is a, a standard YA dystopian character. Like the the O'Brien nineteen eighty four star character, yeah, um, who turns up and goes, "Yes, I I understand everything that you're saying, but you're wrong," and it's like you know the basically the the, the dark side version of the character is again mm. another trope of dystopian fiction, and it's all in there, and whereas most of the people who've read the dystopian fiction will have read Dan at four five one, obviously Ray Bradbury hadn't because he hadn't written it then. So it does feel like a quintessential primer for for dystopian fiction. And I would actually say, as much as I love We, for example, which we'll get to another show and talk about, um, I'm sure we've reviewed 1984 at some point. We've talked about 1984, certainly. We definitely have talked about it, yeah. yeah. Whereas I would say, if you want to read old dystopian fiction and understand what the people from the post-war period were on about, because this is very much a post-war book, yeah. it's very much about the fears of the future read Fahrenheit 451 because it's great and it's accessible and you'll get the story and you'll get the fears of the characters whereas if you try reading 1984 it's really long <laughs> and don't misunderstand I adore George Orwell but he does bang on Yeah, and, and he bangs on and you're just like oh goodness me because um, there's entire bits there where this, this, I seem to recall there's a chapter where they're banging on about um, different types of measurements for you know oh beer used to be different back in the day and you're like this is not relevant to the plot George it's interesting there's an entire section on rebuilding language yeah there's I think one of the things with 1984 is there's things that he didn't have to explain I think sometimes authors get scared that they'll lose the reader and it's very rare you're going to lose your reader like if the writing if the context is there people can work out what words mean but things like yeah a whole chapter on explaining the compounding of language to make language more efficient I'm pretty sure that anybody reading that if someone had just said ungood would have known what that meant it's there's bits that were explained that didn't need explaining because you could just use them. You're but, gonna get it. 
Instead, he writes an entire Dungeons and Dragons source book on his world, <laughs> and then says, "This is not science fiction." And I'm like, "Yeah, it is." That's almost how I define certain types of sci- like certain types of genre writing, mm. is where you have have the world in almost a necessary detail. Yeah, it's like if if you suddenly feel like you have to write a separate book, venturing on George R. R. Martin's uh, to explain your world. Yeah. Then, then you you you're definitely genre fiction. Do you know what books don't need to tell you that they're not science fiction? Books that aren't science fiction. <laughs> like... <laughs> and and, and on The Handmaid's Tale, which is a great work of science fiction. Yes, that's right. It's a great work of science fiction. Mm. I don't care what Margaret Atwood says because she wrote it, but she can still be wrong. And, <laughs> it, and it's a uh, it's that amazing thing with authors because authors are like please don't pitch it's artists do this as well like musicians who be like how do you describe your own music oh well we've invented a new t- it's pop isn't it oh no we've decided it's techno realism no it's pop isn't it and it's like yeah you don't get to define what your art is especially I think sometimes authors authors are aware that they're not the only party within the creation of the work you write the words but the creation of the work is completed by the reader if the reader who has completed your work by reading those words and turning those those things into images and creating that story for real in a part of their own mind decides that their experience is a science fiction experience you can't take that away from them I think what used it used to be true, certainly when Planet Four Five One came out, it used to be true that you could turn around and say that fantasy novels or science fiction novels, a large proportion of them did not have the same sort of weight as more literary fiction. Yes, and that was true about a lifetime ago. It's not true now. There's been so much fiction, there's been so much good science fiction, so much good fantasy, and so much bad genre literary fiction as well, Mm -hmm. lit fic, that it's, you know, it's just a way of saying the flavour is this, the the, the writing is still still going to be amazing regardless of, you know, know, I'm trying to remember his name, chap who remains of the day. Oh, Kazuo Ishiguro? That's the one. Um, he's written science fiction, he's written fantasy. And, you know, you know that when you pick up any of his books, it's going to be amazing. And mm. if you dismiss his work because he's written a fantasy novel, then you've missed out. This is the difficulty that I have sometimes, because there are some authors, and I can't find them in the sci-fi fantasy section, even though they have written sci-fi fantasy books. Mm. And so I'm like, you know what? just go and check in the standard fiction section and they'll be in there. And it's like, I know that this author is a predominantly standard fiction author, but this is a sci-fi fantasy book. I don't understand why it's here. And interestingly, because I was in Waterstones and I I went with the intention of buying a specific book. They didn't have it. So I got my wish list up and was like, I'm going to look for, I'm going to buy something else that I want then. Um, but I always forget what I want when I'm in bookshops because I get overstimulated and it's just a way of saving time to have a wish list on on my app Um, and um, I basically I was like I couldn't find the author and I was like you know what I'll go and have a look in the standard fiction section Um, 
some of their work was there, not the work I was looking for. But oddly enough, I noticed that Claire North's The End of the Day was in the standard fiction section, but it was also in the sci-fi fiction section. Sci-fi and, and fantasy fiction. And I was like, that's quite interesting because I never, ever see that. Although, just actually, you know, the author I was looking for was Philip Pullman. I wanted to buy his dark materials. And it wasn't in sci-fi and fantasy. And it wasn't in fiction. Um, it was all the. It was in a posh section downstairs, like the point of sale section that makes that make adults go ooh. Um, but they didn't have the copies I wanted. Um, it was all in YA, and I was like, fair, I get it. It is a YA book, but I was like, but also, when I was looking for them in the standard fiction section, the Pullman books that were there were his grim fairy tales and um, the child Jesus. Is it child Jesus and the Bastard Christ? That sounds about right. Something like that. I can't remember the exact title, but both, again, I, I wouldn't say that either of those are standard fiction. I'm I, just thinking of, because we've. A couple of David Gemmell's books that he wrote but were, were never published under his name mm. um, are making its way into print. Now, Rhyming Rings has, ju- has come out already? No? Yes. Right, yeah, Rhyming um, Rings is now out. And we've we reviewed it in a recent episode, but where would it be found in a yeah. bookstore at the minute? Where's it going to be? It's crime fiction. Right, okay, fair enough. Then, Are they going to put it in crime, though? What I would do... Because this that's is, not where fans will look for it. This yeah. Is what, this is what Dylan's used to do in Newcastle, when Dylan's in Newcastle used to be Dylan's and not Waterstones. I don't know if Waterstones do it, but what they used to do when American Gods came out, so this is some time ago, they put that on the, the uber-impressive section. With a little note saying... By Neil Gaiman, other works by Neil Gaiman in the graphic novel section downstairs. And you'd go downstairs and you'd see all the Sandman books and they'd be like, by the way, he's got a book out and it's upstairs. And it was like, like literally just told you where to go. And it was like a little mm. treasure hunt. But it was those little no- waterstones near them as yeah, well. Yeah, little, little, little cards. So it's just two notes pointing to each other. Yes, because <laughs> yeah. I, I remember it distinctly because I was with my friend Kevin at the time. We raced up and down the stairs being hilariously confused when we were told to stop. Uh, <laughs> that sounds entirely like you. Yes. <laughs> hilariously confused. <laughs> but, um, yes, in the same way that when you see a sign that says stop, then you stand there <laughs> looking, because looking, there's not another sign that says move. Stop. Oh no. Are you the kind of person who sees you you are here signs and then you find another one and says, How does it know I've moved? <laughs> I, I, I'm always amazed by that. I also when I when I'm on, on a map and some places do actually do this, where you go into a shopping mall and there's a big arrow that says you are here and then look round to see if they've built an arrow. <laughs> and and sometimes you will actually find a huge arrow at the information point. And I'm just like, I love that. That's that. That's how you should do that. Yes, yeah, it's always how you should do that. There should be an arrow pointing to where I am because it's on the map. <laughs> oh. oh dear. I'm very sorry. We've also gotten very far away from the point of five four five one. Um, have we? <laughs> yeah, because actually, what we're doing is we're talking about utter surface parties. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically. Um, yeah. Um, also, weirdly, I've never seen anyone cosplay as Guy Montag. Not many people cosplay as characters from books, anyway. But it'd be quite a fun cosplay to do, because you're just wearing a heavy insulated <laughs> suit with a flamethrower. Obviously, it'd be, it'd be a water pistol. But yeah, I was gonna say you don't get let into the convention if you're wearing clearly one of those. 
I think the reason why you don't get many people who cosplay as books is because cosplay is dependent on being able to see the finer details of an image and you don't have that image and like I said as well I don't even know if it was this show or we've talked about it previously but that idea of different people see different things when they read certain words so what you see as a character someone else might not see and then you've got a day of people asking who you are yeah. Um, which don't get me wrong some people love they love being the cosplayer that no one knows who they are because they liked it before it was cool but if you're going with as a character because you love that character and you think it's a popular book but no one knows who you are because that's not how they view that character that's annoying and uh, then you've got a debate which no one's got time for I probably should have told this story before but I was at a Birmingham Comic Con and there was a chap who was dressed as a baddie from the Red Shadows which is an obscure toy range of the Action Force <laughs> toy range. So you, before you had G.I. Joe and Cobra, you had Action Force in the UK and the Red Shadows. What the Red Shadows were, they were uh, Star Wars-sized action figures produced by Pally Toy, I think. And they originally sold World War Two period uh, G.I. Joes in that, that scale, that Star Wars scale, mm. and also Nazis. So you have like a Nazi and like an SS officer and so on. Um, these didn't sell very well for obvious reasons like mm. the bought stories and they didn't sell very well so what they did was they repainted them all and they took the faces off so they gave them full face masks so your red shadow toy was a Nazi his arm even raised that way um, but they painted him red took off the face took, took a whole insignia he was still a baddie yeah but he was a baddie toy in a fantasy military fantasy world yes that they would sell the children and there was one of these characters called Baron Ironblood and there was another guy who was called you know, Max Von Evil or whatever <laughs> I, can't, I can't quite anyway this guy had decided to cosplay as a Baron Ironblood style Max Von, Von Evil character which was fine because he wasn't in he was in an SS uniform but it was bright purple with like sci-fi bits on it so it's like recognisable to you know as, as not the, the thing that it was inspired by because mm. it was a different colour and it had different insignia on it but it was still essentially an SS uniform which is why he got kicked in the crotch by an 80 year old colourblind lady who just had at him with an umbrella Oh, because we, because we, we, I, I bumped into this guy and I went uh, blood from the Baron he went blood from the Baron and I went you never see that costume and he went yeah and then this and he told me the story where he got set upon and he was like but, but I'm playing a comedy bad guy just, ah. oh, so yeah. okay, obviously you can't defend yourself against a pensioner who, who's decided that you're dressing as a you know, as a monster oh, and has decided to have at you he was like, "Yeah, I'm retiring this costume after today." And I was like, "I don't blame you." Also, that's a stupid idea in the first. Place. <laughs> um, but yes, so <laughs> yeah, poor guy. I say poor guy. He was an idiot because he was dressing as yeah. That was, that was, but he'd gone to all this effort of recreating this costume that was historically based on something that's quite bad, and yeah, but also very funny because he got beaten up by a pension. Mm-hmm. That's um, an excellent story. Yay. The story's, in a sense, well worth the time. <laughs> <laughs> well worth the time to, to make the costume. Yeah, obviously, you know, no. not if you knew it was going to happen in the first place, but it's a story worth telling. <laughs> it's got, I'm glad it happened. 
Yes, but you're glad it ha- also glad it happened to someone else. Yes. yes. But um, yes. So I don't know. I, I suspect when the t- if the TV series does come out, we'll see. Yeah. Do you know who's making it? Uh, I think it might be Amazon. Okay. Um, Amazon do some great like we've had again had this conversation before but I think at the moment Amazon are doing some really good um, adaptation TV they've they, just finished well no they're still in the final stage but they're filming bits of Good Omens at the minute they've, yep they've yeah. got Good Omens um, American Gods was great they've got Lord of the Rings I think they're doing yeah. um, P Blast as well which is the first Ian and Banks book mm. and that will either be amazing or not they did Constantine, didn't they? I think they did. Yes, because it was on. It was on our. our it yeah. was on Amazon. They did Lucifer, but I haven't watched it because I just the idea of it being a crime drama just threw me a little bit. In but... the nicest way, um, if you love the books enough that a lot of deviation from the books would upset you, don't. don't. Okay, yeah, I won't then. Um, because unless it... it's so much deviation, I can pretend it's not the same. It's so much deviation you can pretend it's not the same. Okay, cool. Maybe uh, maybe we'll have a go. But they're still, apart from that, they're doing some great adaptation TV. HBO are doing Fahrenheit 451, apparently. Oh, HBO. Uh, are they so, going to try and Game of Thrones it? Well, I've just looked at some of the cast photos, and they look very... Okay. We'll any, see. Any names we know? Um, what do you mean by Games of Thrones? I mean, do you mean extending oh, it over several seasons? No, it's in just being like, let's try and make this difficult to watch, and that like oh, I, Game of Thrones nearly ruined television because people thought they had to match it, and it's like you do not need unnecessary sex and stuff. Things don't need to be overly adult, like, and just throwing in just feats of gory violence to be gory and violent um, I lots of people disagree and lots of people have tried to talk to me about certain things um, and try to change my mind but the issue is every time they try and change my mind they they don't necessarily make the point that they think they're making and I'm not I'm not I'm not having a go at anyone who does like it like I kind of I can understand why it's entertaining television I just think a lot of it is quite unnecessary Michael B. Jordan as Guy Montag who is uh, the most recent Johnny Storm from Four Fantastic, that that awful Fantastic Four. Oh, the one that Jamie Bell was in. Yeah, and okay. he's currently in Black Panther. I'm trying to think of another face. Uh, he's a very pretty looking man. Um, I can't remember which one Johnny was, if I'm honest. Oh no, I think I can. Yes, 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 yes. I might yeah. know who you mean. And. And they've cast Clarice as an actress called Sophia Butella, who's apparently been in Star Trek Beyond. Ah, cool. Um, so, there we go. Um, yeah, HBO. Okay. Probably be fine. Hopefully. Well, I look forward to watching it on my fireproof parlour wall. <laughs> um, I kind of now want to actually like have a huge parlour wall made 
So it always makes that idea now would always just make me think of um, how I met your mother. Like Barney Stinson has a TV that is like he has a wall. And it's not a wall; it's a TV. And there's this bit where he, he turns it on, and Lily just goes, "Ah, it hurts my eyes." And he goes, "I know that doesn't go away." <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a Black Mirror episode where they're, they're surrounded by TV walls and they're they're. Um, the, the 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 cycling one. The fifty million million merit. Yeah. Uh, which is my favorite. It's the second episode. Favorite piece of that's anti-utopian. No one in that world is meant to. Um, yeah, no, that's not supposed to. And we've looked around because that's going to be uh, there's going to be a black mirror book with written by Corey Doctorow, someone else, and Claire North. Cool. So yeah. Looped all the way around. All the way around. So, so five eight four five one a book about why you should stop watching television and read a book, <laughs> uh, and we've mostly talked about television. <laughs> right. I I think I think I need a cup of tea. So tea tea. Find some tea. Uh, so it's goodbye from myself, Ed Fortune. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. You can follow us on the internet. You should be able to find us. Bye. Bye. Bye.